Yo, the name is Andrew Austin. They call me Drake, last name Miles. This is Mono A Mono. And as always, I'm going to give you my two cents, but you can keep the fucking change. Today I'll be talking with Mike Dabransky, my coach, my good friend, and over the past few months, he's been a damn good mentor. Mike's had quite a crazy life, and he's willing to come on here and share it with all of us. So let's hear what he has to say. Well, Mike, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you taking the time. No problem. We were uh, we were in here sparring last night. Both of us are a little punch drunk. Yeah. Hopefully, we can get through this without uh, too many stutters. Yeah. Um, you got your you got your grandparents coming over this weekend. What else you got planned? Yeah, uh, just some family time, man. You know, now that I can, I've learned how to enjoy being in my own house. Yeah, for sure. It's nice. <laughs> Not uh, stuck under mental prison. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. So, um, so I mean, I guess we can jump right into it. Um, first of all, where are you from? Uh, so I was born in Toronto. <clears throat> I grew up in Belleville. I think, uh, my, uh, my parents moved us to Belleville when I was three. Um, my story is actually like, like kind of scary, uh, but super similar to your dad's. My, okay. my, my dad's from Cape Breton Island. He was, uh. In the Army Reserves, and he was working in Ontario. My mom was a 16-year-old girl, wow. underage in a bar, and they met, hmm. and here I am. Uh, so, and just like your dad, my dad's an absent father, so I didn't have a dad growing up. And, um, and also like your dad, I had a stepfather who came in right away hmm. and took me as his own, right? and still today he's the only family member that I have <clears throat> that I stay in close contact with, but... Uh, yeah, man. Like, so we grew up in Belleville, and it's wild that how the full circle, everything happens for a reason. Like we we've talked about this a few, a few times, and you know, we're all here together now, we're working at the gym, and we're all you know helping each other out, and it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So it's, yeah. Uh, so from Toronto, you were born in Toronto. So I was born in Toronto, yeah, St. Joseph's Hospital, right there in York. Okay. And then, uh, so my stepdad Lee, um, which is my brother's biological father, he uh, his brother lived in Belleville. Uh, my uncle Ronnie, and he had a job for him because my my stepdad's an old blue collar man. He's a factory worker, worked in uh, Reed's Dairy and cheese factories and stuff like that. So he got, he got a job. So we he moved us all to Belleville, and so we kind of started our life a little rough biker town. And so I was fully I fully raised in Belleville, right in the ghetto. Went to uh, we started off in Hillcrest, which is on the at the time was the outskirts of Belleville, right by the right behind the Queenie Sports Center there, right off the highway. My high school was uh, Centennial Secondary. That's on the other end of uh, Belleville, and it's a Nike AAA, or was at the time. I'm not sure if it is now. Uh, Nike AAA endorsed um, athletic school, so you, if you want to play a lot of good sports like rugby, football, and then go to America and yeah. play against their state champs and all that, that was the high school you wanted to go to. We were always number one for football, rugby, wrestling, hockey. Yeah, lacrosse Actually, and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, a, couple, a couple guys that I went to school with uh, ended up going there, like transferring over before yeah. being drafted or whatever down to the States. Yeah, it was a great high school, man. I couldn't have asked for a better high school experience. It was super cool, man. Like uh, They had a lot of cool programs, shop programs. Uh, they had like an outdoors program, for, like where you go to Tamogamy every year. There's never bullies there. Huh. Real good school, man. Real yeah. good. Everybody's on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's friends. Everyone knows each other. There's a dickhead there, but 
course. We got sorted out. Yeah. <laughs> of course. No, that's uh, being similar to my dad. He's, he he kind of brought that up in our in our interview. You're either a bully or, or everybody has a bully in them. You know what I mean? It's yeah, they yeah. get bullied and then they bring it to school or, yeah, yeah. you know, everybody has that little bit of a little bit of a side to them. So where um where from Belleville? Where where does where does it all change from there? Where where is the where is the Mike Debransky story start? So also very similar to your dad's story. Um I think I was about eight. Um my stepdad finally uh saved up enough money, bought us our first house out in the Hillcrest area. And uh my mom, she's got a lot of mental issues. Um like even to this day, we'll get into that later, but uh she was a stay-at-home mom, and I say that in quotation because she, she didn't do mom things, right? Like, um, we would go to school without lunches, stuff hmm. like that. Like, she didn't care. It's rough. Yeah, so, um, like, she wanted to get a job finally. My hmm. stepdad was like, yeah, sure, I support that. Like, let's get you a job. So she gets a job at Denny's. Well, she meets a new guy, well, some native from the reserve, and gets caught having an affair. So that divorce happens, and then... Uh, she just chose being a single woman over being a mother and gave me and my brother up. The difference was, um, and when I say gave us up, gave us up to children's aid. Um, the difference is my stepdad, who never actually legally uh, adopted me, which he wishes he did at the time, um, because he's my brother's biological father, he's able to pull him out right away. But I couldn't touch me. CAS wouldn't let me. That was Lee's son, your brother. I didn't. My, even, I didn't know you had a brother. Yeah, I got a half brother, Matt. Uh, yeah, half brother, same mom, different dad. Right. Uh, he's your typical millennial, millennial little whiner kid. So <laughs> we're not that close, and 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 it's because of my life story there with how we were brought up. Why we're not that close? It's un, unfortunate, but mm-hmm. um, so yeah. So he couldn't touch me because he's not a biological parent. And my mom made up crazy stories, so even when he tried and fought it, they wouldn't do nothing. So my brother got out, and I was stuck being a crown ward of the court at, uh, I think I was nine. Nine years old. Yeah, thrown into a group home called Honeywell House. Wow, and where was that? In- yeah, it was north of Belleville, just up 37. It was a group home. Hmm. Basically, it's like a halfway house. You get first thrown into the system, and they don't really know what to do with you or where to go, and they don't know anything about you because you're not really there because they had like they had to intervene. You were just kind of dropped off at the doorstep. So you go there and they do all these assessments and stuff and they figure out like what's going on with you. So it was pretty crazy group home, like me being nine years old and I'm watching kids getting restrained and weird sexual deviant stuff and like just crazy kids, right? Um, Where I'm like, what the fuck? Ten years old. Yeah, I'm not like any of these kids. I just want to go to school. But we weren't allowed to go to school because they had to teach on property. So there's the garage was converted into a little school and we were homeschooled. Yeah, that's uh, so I was a grade six, grade six and seven for that. So maybe I was around like 10, 11. That's scary, man. That sounds like some some cult stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So from so how old were you from how long were you in the system and how I was in the system all the way till I was 16 when I signed myself out. So from Honeywell House, they had put because I had always complained to my worker, like, I want to go to school. I want to be a kid. Right. We'll, we'll try and find you a foster home. Well, the thing is, most foster parents want to get young kids because they want to help them, right? Yeah. Well, I'm kind of in that weird age where it's like, what can you do with me? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it took yeah. a while. So they got me into a foster home, and it was a shitty experience as well because they were, like, little truckers 
They're just piece of shit human beings. Mm. And they just had about 14 kids in this little house. Wow. And they just strapped these kids to high chairs and barely did anything with them. They were just smoking 10 packs of cigarettes a day, just collecting paychecks. Well, me being so young and like aware of what's going on, mm-hmm. I called them out on their shit all the time. So I was always getting locked in rooms and fucking grounded and not allowed to do anything because I'm sitting there going, what the fuck? You're not feeding these kids. Like I haven't eaten. What is going on? This like, isn't right. Yeah. So, and then they had two, ki- two of their own kids and they were both little shitheads. One was a crackhead and you'd go and break things and steal money and stuff. And he would just blame it on all the other kids, like the foster kids. Yeah. So here I am. It was Peggy and Dave were their names. And I'm pretty sure they're not <laughs> foster parents anymore, but. Not, but, not allowed to be. <laughs> yeah, I just, I remember this Dave guy was giving me shit for, like, fucking things I didn't even do or know what he was talking about, and he would try and hit you and stuff. So I didn't last very long there because I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. So I would AWOL yeah. and just leave. And wow. you get in shit when you AWOL because then it looks like you're a delinquent, like you're trying to get in shit. And I'm like, no, man, I just want to be safe. You want to get out of that yeah. routine, yeah. So they, <clears throat> like, think after a while, Children's Aid figured out that I, I was a good kid and, like, I didn't lie and stuff. So they were like, if Mike's saying this, it's probably fucking happening. Mm-hmm. So they got me out of there, and they put me in a good foster home, uh, a Swiss girl, Heidi Vandermeulen. And I was in grade 7 at this time. So, yeah, so Honeywell House, it would have been nine ten. So, so I that was the uh, the truckers was the first house that they put you in, the that first was a, foster that home? That was the first foster home, okay. yeah. And I was taking the school bus um, for grade 6 and 7. I was going to Prince of Wales. So, yeah, I was 6, 7. Hmm. Um, I think maybe I was there a year. And uh, then I went to, actually, sorry, from there, my grandparents finally got me out of the system. Hmm. And I went to Brampton, hmm. which is like your dad. Yeah. Which is why I think it's fucking crazy how similar of a story we have. So I lived on Avondale with my grandparents, who are the ones that are coming tonight. And um, I went to Belmoral, which is in Peel, and it was the fucking ghetto of school. I'd never seen black kids before, like gangsters, stuff like that. Wow. So I, my first day, I saw a fight, and a kid get stabbed. I'm like, what the fuck? I don't want to be here. So I, I think I made it like six months in Brampton, and I'm just from a small town, and I was like, I'd rather go back and live in a foster home. I do not want to be in Brampton. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I was having some issues, like all the shit that went on in my life. I was all fucking, I was an angry kid, right? He's pissed off. Like, why me? Why the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. So I got sent back to... Uh, Belleville and went to this foster home uh, with the Swiss woman, Heidi Vandermeulen, and she was a therapeutic foster home. So she dealt with, uh, she had two adults that lived with her and one other child. The child had bipolar schizophrenia. The one woman had bipolar schizophrenia and then the one adult male, Matthew. So it was Matthew, Sherry, and Devin. Those were the three people. And I'm not sure what his disability was. He was like, he was... Like, he needed to be at home for his whole life. I'm not sure what it was, right? Hmm. But he was basically like a three-year-old stuck in a 25-year-old's body. Super nice guy, right? Yeah. Um, Dangerous. So I lived there. It was a great home. It was nice. She taught me on how to help these people. So I learned a lot about mental health and all these, like, I'm seeing all this shit at such a young age, so I have to understand it. So I'm always asking questions. And uh, so, yeah. So I lived there for grade seven, and that's kind of where I started my life. And I knew I wanted to stay in that area because when we first moved to Belleville, that school was the first school I went to. Okay. So when I got back to Sir Mackenzie Bowl for grade seven, I'm seeing all these kids I met in kindergarten. So mm-hmm. my buddy tattooed on my arm there is my best friend that died. Um, I reunited with all those guys. And uh, so I was like, fuck, this feels good. 
Famili- yeah. familiar faces for once. Yeah. And they're all, they're all calling me Gradwell, which is my stepdad's last name, because they remember me as a Gradwell, even though I'm a Debranski. Right. You feel right at home. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, this is cool. So I think I lived there for um, about a year and a half. I finished grade eight there. And then I started, and then I got put, she didn't, she retired. I got thrown back into a group home, which mm. was 371 Dundas, right beside the Children's Aid, which is a high, it wasn't a high risk, but it was um Trouble teenagers. So these are kids that are getting arrested, fights, fucking drug problems, all this. But there was nowhere for me to go. The mm. system's so flooded, so I had to go there if I wanted to stay in that area and stay in my schools. So I sucked it up. I was like, all right, let's go. So no, I was in grade eight for there. Sorry, grade eight. Yeah, so you bounce around a lot in the system, right? They don't. It's tough. There's so many places and people. It's probably hard to keep track, man. Oh, man like, it's like, probably... A big blur for you, yeah. You know, some. Well, and I don't think about it, right? So, like, this is the first time I'm talking about it in probably 15 years. So that this this group home is actually torn down now, but um, it was the fucking shittiest time of my life in that house. I spent two years there. I spent uh, over a thousand days. So I had my children's aid file. I actually got it last year to go through it to kind of decompress and like see what happened in my life because because of trauma, you forget a lot of things or you bury it in the body, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm reading all this stuff, and I'm like, fuck, man, crazy. You you can't even believe the shit that you went through. Well, (laughs) because half the shit they did to you as a kid now is child abuse. Like, it's the the, the way the world works is so fucking different Mm -hmm. that it's like they're locking us in rooms and we're not getting fed and stuff like that because that's the type of punishment they did then, Mm -hmm. which was acceptable, and now it's just like... So it's like, Wouldn't I read all that stuff and I'm like, I'm a caged animal. Like it yeah. fucking blows my mind. But yeah, so I was there for, uh, over a thousand days. So maybe it was close to three years. I was there for grade eight, grade nine. And I think right into grade 10, because right up until I was 16, when I, <clears throat> I signed myself out, but that's when I got into boxing was because mm-hmm. of that group home. Um, the government gives you 40 bucks a month to go towards sport. Well, I'll name a sport that that pays for. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, me being, t- I was 12 years old when I was in this home, and I was getting my ass kicked by 16-year-olds who were fucking drug dealers and want to be tough guys and all this, and I just got sick of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to learn how to fight, and I'm going to smash all these dickheads so <laughs> they're not going to fuck with me anymore. Yeah. So <clears throat> some of the kids, Ryan and Tyke, shout out to them, and their dad, Tim, great family, grew up with them. They were one of the original families I met when we first moved into, or to Belleville as well. They got me in the box club. They're like, we're not going to charge them in. 40 bucks, fuck, we don't care. So I got in a box and picked it up like that. And I stuck with it, obviously, forever. But mm-hmm. um, I learned how to fight. And I started kicking the shit out of all these bullies. <laughs> Fucking enough was enough. There's a, the first turning point in your yeah, life. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, and I remember all, the fucking kid's name was Gord Miracle. Big, big native kid and thought he was gangster. And um, the way, <laughs> this is why it's, it's like a prison, right? And this it makes me laugh. So we had a big old tube TV and the way they, they let us have the remote, it was a two by four box with this remote bolt, bolted in this box it chained to the coffee table, which was chained to the floor because these kids freak out and throw shit and attack you all the time. Right. So this kid fucking threw this big brick of a remote at me and I just, that was my first time I snapped. Yeah. I was like, that's it. This fucking kid's getting it. And I just remember grabbing him, and I fucking cleared him right across the table, and I pounded him. And the staff were like, Mike's had enough. Yeah. So that was my first fight in a group home. and The first time you felt that flame. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, I can protect myself. Like, fuck, mm-hmm. no more. And uh, and it's funny, because when I go through these 3,000 and something pages in my CAS file, 1,000 of them being daily reports, 
I think maybe I'd been in maybe a hundred fights in this group home. Every fucking day you're getting in fights because kids are freaking out or picking on you, and it's just what else do you have to do? You're not allowed to leave the home. Yeah. So you just fight all the time, or kids go in your room, they fuck with your bed, or they fuck with your stereo. Back then, everyone wanted a stereo, right? It's when they kind of came out. Who had the most bass? Yeah. So <laughs> people fuck with each other's stereos in the group home, right? But it was cameras. Like, we were monitored when we slept. Everything, man. There was, like, probably... I think there was six or seven staff members a night. Some were awesome, and I still talk to some of them because they kind of, I wanted to emulate them as people in my life when I grow older. And some of them were pieces of shit. And some of them saw the potential in you. Yeah, yeah. Like some, some of them were normal people. They were there because they fucking cared about kids, and some were there for a paycheck. And, mm-hmm. I, and me being so experienced and going through all that shit so young, I could call those people out in a second. Like, you don't fucking care. Yeah. Wanda, you know who, who Wanda. you are. You know who you are. <laughs> fuck uh, you, Wanda. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Wanda. Um, but it's funny, like, and uh, and when I go through, I got a mental health girl here I've been dealing with. She's awesome, Lucy Marlin. And she goes through the file. So I had to do IQ testing because part of the problem was I kind of ran out of higher intellect because I had to develop so quick early with the experiences of how I was raised in the system that I was getting frustrated at things or I was picking up on things. So they would get mad at me, right? Hmm. And I would call them out on it. So it's funny reading these daily reports where you can see that I'm manipulating them. Yeah. By their report, yeah. because I know what's going on, right? Calling them I, on their bullshit. Yeah, I, I use the system against them type thing, right? Just because I'm like, the fucking, enough's enough. But uh, I wanted to be a kid, so, and we skateboarded, right? We Skateboarding was one of the big things we all got into when we were young. So I would AWOL once a week, and I would tell the staff, I'm not going to do drugs and stuff like these other dickheads, man. I'm going to skateboard with my friends. I'll be home tonight. Mm-hmm. If you want to come find me, this is where I'll be. Mm-hmm. So... When you AWOL, first thing goes out, report, missing person, right on the fucking radio. So my friends always laugh because you hear it in the radio. They always did it on the radio, right? Mix 97, blah, blah, blah. Kids are always like, oh, man. So imagine being a kid in high school and your friends are always like, man, why the fuck do you live in a group home? Why do you get dropped off in a panel van with like 10 other like delinquents? Mm -hmm. Why are you on the radio all the time for running away? Stuff like that, right? So it kind of sucked. You seem normal to them, you know, yeah. compared to all the people you're being dropped off with. and Yeah, and then, so, and they don't get it, right? They're all from normal houses and stuff, and I'm like, I don't know, man. But I met... Uh, a yeah, bo- how do you explain that to the, to those kids? Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, even, like, somebody like me, you know, I, I can relate to that. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't understand that from, yeah. from the first hour. It's just embarrassing, right? Like, you're trying to try to get a girlfriend, right? Yeah. Well, I live in a group home. Sorry, I can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, fu- it was fucking embarrassing. Hmm. Um, so... I met another kid. He was a buddy of mine I known for a while. His mom was just heartbroken because she was always like, "Why can't Mike come this to do this?" And one day he just was like, "Mike lives in a group home, hmm. and like he's not allowed." And blah blah blah. And she loved me, and she was like, "Fuck that! We're taking that kid." So she went to court and she signed my ass out because I was sixteen, so I was allowed to sign myself out hmm. because she wasn't allowed. She's not a biological parent or anything, but because she's an adult, and I had a relationship with her and her son. She was able to say, he can live with me. I'm the one who signed myself out of children's aid. She gave me a home and... Guided you in the right direction. Got, got me out of the fucking system. So I'm forever grateful to Michelle there, but hmm. I'm still in touch. She still calls me her son, treats me like wow. her two other sons, right? So where did... Um, so you lived with them for a while after getting out of... Yeah. yeah, so I lived with them for about a year until I found out uh, she just really wanted money from me. Hmm. So, like, I... Like, 
I don't hold it against her. She was a poor woman, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just right away, like, go get a job and pay me rent. But I'm like, your own fucking kids don't do that. But I'm like, yep, no problem. So I've been working since I was 15, right? Just like your dad, well, your dad's working at eight and shit, but I couldn't do that. I was trapped in a fucking prison. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went and got a job. I worked at Mr. Sub. That was my first job. And I worked for a Lebanese guy. He was fucking awesome. Gave me free subs every day. And from there, I got a job at West 49 because I was skateboarding. I was sponsored by West 49. So my job was to just hang out and skateboard. It was awesome. Hmm. Um, so... From there, I was still in high school, and I just finally had enough of her just sucking money out of me all the time. And I was just like, you know what? I think I'm going to go live on my own. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I don't think you can do that. And I'm like, oh, I can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> like, back then, it was cheap. So I actually went and lived with my stepdad because he was finally like, wait, and come live with me. Like, so I reconnected with my stepdad because I always connect. Like, I stayed in touch with him, and he'd always come pick me up and stuff, but... He was helpless because the way my mom put us in the system, she made him out to be a bad guy, right? She mm-hmm. didn't want me um, to, like, so she even tried to fuck him on child support and stuff. So when, so my, I'm eight years old, and she goes, your stepdad doesn't want to see you this weekend because he doesn't want to pay child support because he says you're not his son. So I get angry at him, and it's, she tells me that because in court, he's a poor factory worker. She's trying to get 1200 mo- bucks a month out of fucking child support from him so he literally in court he had to go i can't pay child support for him he's not my child yeah so he said that because he couldn't afford to do it but that's not what he meant you know what i mean but she so she tells me that to make me mad and all that right so like be i was being manipulated by my fucking crazy mom at a young age but so i still always stayed close with him and now i treat him like my he is my real dad right he was there i wasn't even a year old like Mm. he raised me my whole life he still calls me son always there for me, comes up all the time, calls me all the time, right? Um, still a fucking poor factory worker, right? So I, I help him out. I'm in a position now, right? So yeah. I'm always helping him out. and He gets mad at me, but I don't think he understands, like, what it means to me for a man to not be my blood, to fucking raise me as his own, you know what I mean? Yeah, shout out to those those real men that, yeah. that bite down on, the, yeah, hell yeah. on life and want to take care of other people. Yeah. So from... So you live with, this is Lee again, right? Yeah, so I'm back with my stepdad here, and I'm about 16, 17. So you're still boxing through this whole time? Yeah, yeah. When, sorry, when did you start boxing? I started boxing when I was, at, I think, as soon as I got in the group home, so I was about 10. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I went to boxing earlier when I was about 7 or 8, but my parents couldn't afford it. Right. So I went a few times, and that was with Lee Hanna, Belva Boxing Club, and that's where I met Ryan and Tyke and those guys, and Tim. Yeah. Right. And then... uh I just, they just couldn't afford it, and I had no rides there, so I just couldn't keep up with it. And then when I got back in the group homes where they will drive you and pay for it, that's when those guys are like, get back to the club. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I was so built. that's when, like, obviously boxing has been a huge part of your life. When did the passion take over, I guess? is. So I always, I've always had a passion for boxing. Like, if you come from Belleville back in my era, you're a boxer. You're a boxer or hockey. Hmm. Um, Belleville's a big boxing town. Uh, we got Sean O'Sullivan, all those big names out of there, right? Um, my stepdad was a, <coughs> a boxer from Cabbage Town and all that as well. Like, um, so the club that was under Northway or on North Front uh, was Northway Restaurant. The basement it was my same coach Lee Hanna. He had a drug problem, so I think I was sixteen, and I we'd always go to the club. Like I was one of the instructors, so I had keys, and I'd go right after high school. I'd take the city bus right to the club. I do my workout, get ready for all the classes, and then all the fighters came in around seven at night, and that's when we did like the actual training. Hmm. And I show up, and the guy who owned the building, because he pretty much owns all the North Front, um, 
was my buddy I went to high school with, Adam Albert. It was his dad. I forget his first name, but his last name's Albert. And he was putting a sign on the door. I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? And he's like, no one's paid me rent in like six months. And it was $800, like, for this place. It was fuck all, right? And uh, I'm like, what are you talking about, man? The place is packed. It's filled with members. We all pay 40 bucks a month. There's no way he's not paying you rent. He goes, buddy, he hasn't paid me. He's like, where's he been? I'm like, I don't know. Because he was living on the one side of the club. Like, he was homeless. Mm-hmm. But he was a phenomenal boxing coach. Like, he's legendary. Everyone knows Lee Hanna. So he was having some problems, and I don't really want to get into it. But he, was, he wasn't, the money wasn't getting paid. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm like, well, fuck, man. We can't just close this thing. And he goes, I'll tell you what. He's like, we'll start rent fresh. He's like, if you can get an adult in here, which Jay Davies, my coach, fucking another man I love, um, to sign the lease, you pay me a dollar, you'll own everything in the club, and he, as he's old enough, will sign the lease, and you'll just keep on going. You'll pay me 800 bucks a month. I'm hmm. like, fucking deal. Call Jay. He's like, yeah, fuck, no problem. Boom. So it's my club because Jay works. So I'm the only one that can run this fucking thing. Yeah. So, and then me and Matty Harrison, that other fucking, my buddy I showed you. So me, me Matty Harrison, and uh, Tanya Robertson, uh, the daughter of Slim, another boxing legend. Mm. We're running this club. So that's what, kind of where it took off. And uh, it fucking grew with us to the point where we overgrew our, our spot. But then I took off for college and... That little shithole dump that we started in the bottom of a restaurant is now uh, Loyalist Boxing and MMA. It's a massive MMA. It's still there. It's Oh, it's a big building now. It's like this. Um, it's all fancy and simple. Well, I haven't been to it. I haven't been home. It's ran by Tim Keller and Sam J. Davies. We'll have to uh, check it out, man. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's more of an MMA because Jay was always more of a tie fighter. But, um, yeah, man. Like So we started competing like young. Um I think it was 12, 11, 11, 12, my first fight, and we just kept going. Golden Gloves, Provincials, we did the uh, U.S. versus America up in Michigan, Port there in Sarnia. Lots of stuff, man. Summer Haze, um, all that fun stuff, man. It was addicting. It was to the point where I would just, I was like, just a young, fit, dumb dude who would just take a fight right away. Yeah. Even if I wasn't training, I'll take it. Just the thrill of the fight. Just didn't care. Sometimes I lost a couple fights because I fucking was not in shape and I just wanted to fight. And I was like, I'll take it. Mm. I hadn't been to a gym for a couple days or something or a couple weeks, but um, I took every fight I could get. And and then uh, Hank Boone, the Olympic Canadian coach from the 80s, uh, took me under his wing. He's like, this fucking kid's going to go places. So he started taking me over. Rest in peace. Hank died a couple years later, but... That's when I started fighting all Joel Yipchuk's guys and uh, Bill Williams from Black Eye and all those old guys because we were fighting in the OBA, which is like the outlaws of boxing Ontario, right? There was way more, less rules. It was more fucking hard, like old school brawls, right? Yeah, like yeah. It, it was cool. Like I'd be getting money after a fucking amateur fight because Joel Yipchuk put money on all his fighters and fucking ends up going 0 and 9. You know what I mean? So it's like, what the fuck? I'm making 300 bucks on an amateur fight. This is cool. The bets are going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which that shit does not happen in boxing in Ontario, right? Right. But it, it was fucking cool, man. It was an experience. And then, uh, yeah, I was 17 and I had the opportunity to turn pro. And uh, so obviously did that because I wanted money. And, uh, yeah. And I joined the Army, obviously. But <clears throat> So how long, how, like how... How long were you professional in uh, uh, boxing? Right up to the Army, so... Four, How many fights would you say? Four years. Uh, I did seven. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So obviously through going pro and training all the time and everything, you got all the girls and you were you, know, you were <laughs> yeah, yeah, a yeah. bad dude. Yeah, that was my problem, right? I was an angry kid, pissed off at the world. I thought fucking everyone owed me something because... 
I had such a shitty upbringing. I had to work so fucking hard for everything. And uh, even with all that, man, and that's where mental health comes into it. I had a fucking vision, right? Uh, I kept my nose clean. I never got never got in trouble with the police. I never, I never got into drugs. Cause, and, like, we could talk about shit I seen in the group homes, like kids doing, like, um, liquid coating, like injecting liquid coating, stuff like that, or these little green jimson balls. They used to eat the seeds, which is, like, a crazy hallucinogenic, but that makes you want to rip your, like things that are hanging off like your tongue or your genitals, like stuff like that. Like I'd, I'd see kids go through that crazy shit. And I was like, I'm never touching fucking drugs ever. Yeah. Plus I'm from Belleville, which is, was, well, still is a huge drug town. Right. So okay. I see it. I was like, nope, not for me. Yeah, never want to end up like that. You learned that, le- that lesson along with many other <laughs> yeah. valuable life lessons. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So like being young, I just, and then like growing up in a broken home and, seeing love affairs and this and that. I just fucking, I was, I wasn't like a shitty dude. Like I was never abusive or anything. I just, I just fucking never took anything serious. So I ruined a lot of really good relationships by uh, not taking things serious. A lot of mental tension. Yeah. Like I just didn't fucking care. I would just rather go out and party and soak up all the attention because now I got it. You know what I mean? I fucking didn't get to grow up a normal kid. And here I am now fucking everyone knows my name and, Good-looking, young, fit dude, and fucking girls just want to hang around, and so mm-hmm. lived that life for a while, and it was pretty toxic, man. Um, to the point where I did start getting in trouble, I was drinking a lot and doing a lot of dumb shit, getting in street fights left, right, and center, and getting close calls with the law and stuff like that. And I was like, "Fuck, man, I'm gonna ruin my life if I don't do something soon." Yep. And uh, I was going to college and everything too at the time. I was doing police foundations, shockingly. Was doing pretty well at that too. Actually, is also a personal trainer running the boxing gym out of uh, Premier Fitness in Kingston. But I was training the chief of police and the staff sergeant, so they were trying to get me into Kingston Police, and I was like, I don't think I fucking want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I fucking joined the army because <laughs> hmm. I knew the army would sort me out, and I knew I was getting benefits, and I can't get in shit when they control your life, right? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I was down. I was on a downward spiral, man. Like. I thought it was going to, it wasn't going to end very good for me. So I needed something with, I was so used to structure and routine, right? Living in the group homes and stuff that I, I I felt like scared when I didn't have it. So when I was living on my own and stuff, I was, I didn't know what to do. That's where the downward spiral came from. Yeah. Yeah. Like you had all the freedom and you didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. So I, I went out of control and then I started getting in shit, right? I started getting in fights and a reputation, people knowing, oh, Mike's fucking going out, he's drinking, he's going to get crazy with his friends and fucking fight everyone in the, the bars and this and that. And It wasn't that I had a fucking ego. It was, I was just in a rough town, right? Matt and Joe's, I'm sure everyone's heard of that. But um, when you're known as a boxer, or a, a, another local tough guy, all the other local tough guys want to fight the tough guy. So it's like... Especially, you know, especially when there's booze involved. Oh, yeah. Even when you don't want to be in a fight, guys are just going, I want to fight you because I want to be the tough guy. And it's mm. like, well... F- but sucker punching is what Bell was about. So, mm. so yeah, man, I joined the Army, just saved my own life. And uh, it did, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It took me down a completely different fucking horrible path where I felt like I was right back in the system. Hmm. Just worse. Well, not worse. I got fed and stuff, but, like, I was not in Mentally. control. Yeah, I was not in control again. So, yeah, joining the Army, like, 
It's a whole different life. And when I say join the Army, like, I join the infantry. And I always explain this to people. The infantry is, it's, yeah, sure, it's in the Army. It's in an element. But the fucking infantry world is so different than the Army that, like, it's hard to, like, people don't understand, right? It's not anywhere near anything else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So people are like, oh, you're in the Army. Well, no, I was in the infantry. A little different, right? Yeah, man, like, it was a crazy life. <laughs> so what? what's what's the difference of the Army? Like, what's to sum it up to people like me that don't know the difference, what's... So, how would you, how would you describe that? So the army you got a bunch of elements, right? So you got like combat engineers, artillery, like all these other sub trades that fall under the element of army. They don't work as hard, right? They they get more luxuries, driven around, shelter. They get to stay in mod tent stuff like that. Infantry, like your job is to sleep in a hole in the ground, <laughs> live out of your rucksack and fucking walk, 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 and carry everything. So <clears throat> it just sucked, man. And then you got. You got the mentality of we are hard. We're hard as fuck. So even when we get the opportunity, well, maybe our fucking CO or OC is like, no, we're still going to sleep in the fucking gutter because we're infantry and that's what we do. It's crazy, man. Like, I so so you look at the way I was raised and the mental robustness you have to develop as a, a as a, a kid that grows up in the system. So you're already so like you've seen it all. You know what I mean? And that's where it kind of transpired in the army for me, like. I'd be sitting on all these shitty courses, and I'm watching these kids fall off like they're complaining. I'm like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. I did that shit when I was 12, like in a group home. Not sleeping, not getting fed right, getting yelled at, treated like shit. Like, So for me, the Army was easy for certain aspects like that. And uh, so I fucking flourished. Um, like, I'd been through all that shit before. You, you couldn't break me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, I was almost unbreakable. Or you were already broken. Uh, or, or yeah, or mm-hmm. you could even look at that. Like, I just fucking didn't care. I was so selfless. I just didn't fucking care. Mm-hmm. And uh, and <laughs> I always joke about it. You just turn your brain off, man. Yeah. Like, uh, you sever your head from your body, right? The emotions and the stuff like that. You're just so sick of hurting all the time that you learn to just fucking cut it off. You get upset or something. No, you jam it right back down your fucking throat and you hide it in your body. And you're just like, nope. Mm-hmm. You, don't the, come like those emotions affect the way you think and your focus, right? Yeah, so yeah. you you have to have to control that. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, so I joined. Uh, I actually joined PBCLI. So that was 2010, and I joined out of Kingston. I actually got hired with Kingston Police and the military the same day, and uh, I literally was walking out of my policing interview and the phone rang. I was still in a suit, <laughs> and yeah, it's the recruiting officer. You, you're free in 20 minutes? I'm like, well, fuck, yeah, I'm actually just down the road. I just came out of an interview with Kingston Police. Ran up the road and did my interview, and I, fuck, I think the guy asked me five questions, and he just stood up and shook my hand. He's like, it's refreshing that someone comes here prepared for once. And I just looked at the other five guys. I'm like, those guys are wearing track pants and lugs, man. Like, they're not taking this serious. Like, you don't need to thank me for being prepared. I just did a policing interview, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, he's like, yeah, so we're only taking 25 positions in the country right now for infantry because it was wartime right so it was packed and he's, he's like pick three other trades and i was like no i don't want to infantry 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 it's the only thing i want to do he's like oh, okay well gives me the whole we'll see what i can do fuck i'm like hey man i just got hired at kingston police you're either gonna take me as infantry i'm fucking walking back down the road and i'm going that route which i fucking wish he said i can't get you in because i would have had a way better life <laughs> more money but uh no he he got me in so Less surgeries and yeah, <laughs> less injuries. So yeah, so from that interview, it was like two weeks later, man. I was on a bus going to fucking basic in St. John at the Mega, 
And, uh, that yeah. quick, eh? Oh, it was boom, boom, boom. Yeah, when you're because I scored high on the aptitude, I was ninety eight percent in the percentile there, and I was young, fit. I had all the experience already. Like I was a perfect fit, right? So it was just boom, get him in. Yeah. So uh, they liked what they what they saw. And they yeah. Wanted, yeah. So even when I got to basic, um, it was all infantry recruits. So it was even cool because usually guys that go to basic, you're with Air Force, Navy. It's just everyone, right? My whole course, sixty. 60 infantry guys between Van Dues, Royals, and PPCLI. So I met a lot of crazy cool dudes right off the bat. And back in that day, it was all the alpha males, ex-athletes, ex-fighters, dudes who fucking didn't know what to do with their life. Kids like me just, like, lost and scared and just needed structure. Mm-hmm. It was just crazy tattooed, fit alpha dudes. So we were just partying, fighting. It was nuts. <laughs> uh, just like the movies you see. Yeah, fuck, pretty much. That was a different era back then, right? The Army is not like that anymore. Now we're getting cycles of kids straight out of their mom's basement at 35 years old. They don't know how to tie their shoes, and they cry when you yell at them. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot different now, man. But uh, So, yeah, and then I get uh, did my battle school in Meaford, and from there I went to the unit. And When you get to the unit and they figure out you're checked out and you're smart, you start getting on all these cool courses, and you start crushing them, bang, bang, bang. And they just keep throwing you in more, more, more. And life in the military is you want to be the coolest, toughest, fucking strongest guy, fastest, strongest, best looking. You want to be everything, right? You're climbing a fucking pyramid, a hierarchy of, like, the highest qualified dude. Thing is, what we don't ever fucking realize is everybody doesn't give a shit about us. And when we get out, what's our fucking pyramid look like outside? Fucking nothing. The no one gives a shit. Mm. We have all these cool fucking qualifications and skills that mean nothing in the real world. Unless you want to go in the policing type whatever. But most guys, like, when we get out, like, look at my buddy Mark. He's walking across America because he's just fucking, he just needs time to himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. The army fucking brainwashing him. Just made, it ruins your life, man. Like, it doesn't ruin your life, I shouldn't say. Um, it, it consumes your fucking life. Right. Um, you put everything on the back burner for your career. It becomes you. It becomes you, your yeah. career, yeah. So um, That was kind of my next question there. What? So, I mean, obviously you did very well through the military, and you you know, you know, were, I mean, you are a very strong mentally man, and, and you know, you, you can tackle through all these, these challenges and everything. What was what was the hardest part mentally going through that? Like, like you say, you turn off your brain, but there has to be some kind of aspect of of mental warfare going on through that point in your life. You know what I mean? Like what, what kept you strong? So it's the brotherhood, man. Like you get so close to these fucking dudes that are just suffering with you all the time Mm -hmm. that honestly, it's going to sound sadistic, but what got me through it is I'd always look at the guy beside me and be like, that guy's suffering way more than me. I'm fucking better than him. Mm -hmm. And I'm not fucking quitting until that guy quits. And then he quits. Okay. Where's my next guy? That fucking guy's suffering more than me. He's fucking quitting first. And I just, that, I wanted to be the best. I had my group of guys that no matter what, we were getting through together. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I was being that fucking guy who hung my head at the end fucking quitting. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I've never quit a fucking thing in my life. I've never failed a thing in the military. I never fucking quit a thing in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I can hold my head up high leaving the army. I fucking crushed everything. Mm-hmm. I never failed a fucking thing. I never missed a fucking thing. I never nothing. I skipped, here I am fucking 12 years later going, what do you mean I have a torn, uh, whatever they fucking call that in my hip? Yeah. Uh, IT band or whatever it is. Yeah. You didn't I, even know. I didn't even know. I'm sitting here suffering <laughs> for eight fucking years thinking, oh, I just pulled a groin or something and I got a torn IT band. But I can't use my foot properly. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> so it's like, 
And that's another thing, right? The like you get hurt in the army, you're fucking weak. And then if you go to the doctors or the HSC, they call it you're fucking weak. And then you go on, you go, they put you on a chit because you're hurt. Well, then you can't participate in army stuff. Well, then you go on a rear party. Well, those guys are fucking losers, man. They're weak. So who the fuck wants to go there? Yeah, that's so you, that's army talk. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's a brainwashing, right? Yeah. So then you suck everything up, and to the point where you're going. Fuck, this is broken out to the point where they're like, man, you need to have surgery, and you probably wouldn't need surgery if you just came and saw me when you first fucking heard it. And that's where I'm at. Here I am at the end of my, I'm out now, but I have all these fucking injuries and hardware and sur- surgeries and metal put in me that I'm just crippled. And I always laugh with your dad because he's like, I'm 10 years older than you. I'm like, I'm fucking part bionic, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many surgeries that broke so much shit, man. My body does not fucking work. I'm like a Prius. Yeah, Physically, you're 10 <laughs> yeah. years older than him. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it's funny, man. Like, and like I said, man, you become selfless. You don't care about yourself. The army fucking conditions you to not give a shit about yourself. You care about the boys to your left and right, but they don't care about themselves either. They care about you. Mm-hmm. So the only way that you get through it is your boys care about you. Mm-hmm. I'm not fucking quitting because he's not quitting. Yeah, He doesn't want to leave me because I don't want to leave him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you get you get through with your fucking guys, man, and you, and you learn these things, these tricks in your head, and you just fucking... You, you utilize these little fucking skills you teach yourself to like, like me, I'm suffering and I just want to quit. I just start laughing out loud. Ha ha ha. And I fuck with the other people back. And the next thing I know, the guys on my left and right, we're all fake laughing because we're just suffering and we just want to get through it. Give us something to laugh about it for a second. You know what I mean? Yeah. Break that fucking mental. Like I want to quit. Cause I spent fucking my whole career in the army going, I want to quit. I'm done. Mm-hmm. So imagine everything you do in the army, you're telling yourself, quit, man, quit. Yeah. You can't fucking do this. And quit. You're fighting this is, yourself. You're fighting yourself the whole time. Jesus. So it's the most rewarding feeling ever, man, when you when you finish something and you go, I just spent six weeks trying to quit in my fucking head, and I fucking did it. I mean, we're always super injured and stuff, but it, there's no better feeling. That, and that's one thing I can hold my head up high and say, I fucking crushed everything. No matter how bad it crippled me, I fucking completed everything. No matter how shitty it was, I did it. <laughs> um so that's one thing, like, and I, and you know what? Like, no one will fucking talk shit about the Army more than me because I have my own feelings on leadership and sanctuary trauma and stuff, but that's one thing the Army can't, I can thank the Army for, man, the fucking dudes I met. Like, you'll never meet more loyal fucking dudes that'll give you the shirt off their back or fucking anything, man. Like, like, yeah, I got a, I got a skill set that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life that I hope to transpire into my two sons. You know what I mean? Like a very small percentage of the world yeah, has that one percent, man. Yeah, exactly. Even. Yeah. Um, so it's fucking cool, man. But with that being said, like, <clears throat> then you got to think your home life, right? You're always gone from home, and here I am now, further along in my career, and meeting my current wife. We have a baby. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm fucking. I'm gone all the time. Like, I never see my wife. I'm. I fuck. I could barely. I barely was even able to be there to see my kid born. I had to get in shit and be insubordinate and fight with people to be able to fucking go see my kid born. So let's let's cut back there for a minute. Where where what does that look like? So you were home. I know we talked about it a little bit for the people that don't know though. You you came home on a break, and when you met your wife, what does that look like? Yeah, so obviously w- that was a, a yeah, good yeah time yeah. In your life. So once a year, the army pays for you. So we were out in Edmonton. We were stationed in Edmonton. Uh, three PPCLI. And once a year, the army pays for you to go home to your, uh, like your next of kin or like where you're from, which for me was Ontario. So I flew to Niagara Falls to stay with the grandparents because they're the only family I really have, right? Um, and 
<clears throat> I met my current wife, Kristen. She it was funny because we met on Tinder. Knock on wood, as <laughs> stupid as it is, but uh, actually, we didn't meet on Tinder. She saw me on Tinder, and I wasn't using Tinder, so she found me on Instagram. She stalked me on Instagram and kept sending me messages. I kept blowing her off, and she's just saying, hey, let's get coffee, blah, blah, blah. And I just kept going, nah, sorry, I'm here to see family. Like, I'm from Edmonton. I'm going back in two weeks. One night, I'm drinking, and I'm like, ah, fuck it. Let's go see this girl. And fucking, boom, she fucking muckled on to me and did not let go. koala Oh, yeah, big time. So... That's so, yeah, funny. here I am uh, married with two kids now with this woman who uh, fucking knew what she wanted and sunk her teeth in quick. <laughs> <laughs> so what um, do you think that had a lot to do with, you know, the path that you're on now mentally and, and you know, the, the journey that you've you've been on and you've been educating me on? And, you know, do you think that was a big turning point in your life, getting out of the military and having her to help you through those times and... Like, where, where do you think that? Where do you think that changed? Because obviously that was a, that was the biggest turning point. You know, you, it was all pain, 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 until you decided it was enough. Yeah. So like meeting her was like it fucking saved my life, man. Like it changed my life, and uh, like you said, man, it's pain, pain, pain. And uh, up into meeting her, man, I never thought I was gonna get married. I never thought I was gonna have kids, man. I thought I was just going to army until I died or fucking killed myself or something. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, ha, my vision was I'm a lifer in the army. My vision was do whatever the fuck the army told me. Go yeah. wherever they told me to go. My my life, my vision was the army. Be the best in the army. Don't quit. Right? Don't quit. Yeah. yeah. Be the fucking toughest guy. The little like thing is I knew my body was wearing out. Like It's not sustainable. Just like professional fighting, man. Like fucking it's pretty rare guys fight fucking that like 30 years you know what i mean yeah and uh sergeant major schnur i'm gonna use him as an example man and here's another turning point we're doing trench warfare just maintenance shit once a year they make you do it right checking the box we're in fucking wainwright digging in the fucking in november which in wainwright is fucking minus 20 right and <laughs> we're digging trenches we're short man there's 16 of us we're digging a fucking company sized trench system so that means we were digging, like, for 60 people, but there's only 16 of us. And out of 16 of us, we only had three shovels and a pickaxe. So we're digging a fuck ton, <laughs> taking turns. And I just remember fucking picking my head up when I look across the field, and I look at my sergeant major, Schnur, and he fucking sticks his shovel in the fucking sand, and he goes, fuck you looking at Debransky. <laughs> and I just shake my head and laugh. I'm like, nothing, sir. He goes, yeah, you fucking are. He goes, you know what you're fucking looking at? And I'm like, what? He goes, your fucking future. And that fucking sunk and hit me hard, man. I was like, that motherfucker's right. And this guy, he's fucking pushing 50. He's hard as fuck. The guy's a legend. He's in books. Um, fucking best sergeant major I ever had. He's also my career manager, which is also what helped turn my life around, man. I don't think I've ever told him, so maybe if he ever hears this, big shout out to Sergeant Major Schnur. But uh, <laughs> that fucking, that hit me hard. I was like, fuck no, that's not. I'm not doing this my whole fucking life. Mm. That means another 25 years of what I've already fucking done, and I'm still going to be in this fucking trench digging a goddamn hole? Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. No doubt, man. Fuck. So uh, that was my first thing, and, and that was just before I met Kristen, because that was November, and I went and met Kristen in December. Wow. So I, I was on home on leave, and yeah, we met, and uh, she was in college for like her second or third program she was doing. She liked doing school. And uh, she was not the type of girl I ever went for. Complete opposite, man. And uh, which is why I think it works. She's super calm and 
just not somebody I would ever go for, right? And uh, so she she came out. So I went, she drove me back to the airport. I flew back out west, and she was just like, fuck, I want to be with this guy. So we obviously stayed in touch, and then she's like, I want to come out and see you on my spring break or whatever. So this is like February or March or whatever, and she comes out, and she spends two weeks, and when she goes to leave, she's like, I'm, like I want to come out here. I want to be with you. I'm like, hey, do whatever you want. Like, I support that if you want to come out here. I'm like, but I'm not telling you what to do. Like, that's a big decision. She mm-hmm. fucking dropped out of school and moved out there. Wow. Boom. She was there not even 24 hours. See you later. I got to go away. I'll see you in six to eight weeks. <laughs> She's like, holy fuck. I'm like, grocery stores down the road. Here's the car keys. By the way, I just rescued that dog. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I'll fucking see you when I can see you. Oh, my goodness. So uh, she hit the ground running, and uh, she got fucking pregnant, like, pretty pretty right away, which is funny because I was gone so much. So another fucking warrant officer, big shout out, uh, Rob Dolson. Um, another fucking legend, man, and I'll, I'll 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 put some info in something so you guys can look up these people. These guys are fucking legends, man. They're, I'll make another Instagram post, yeah, and, man, or you can make one and I'll share it or this something. This guy's yeah. this guy fucking. He's on the Invictus team, man. There's a big story behind him. He's a fucking man. The guy's incredible. He's the most modest motherfucker I ever met in my life. Um, but same thing. Me and him trench warfare, and me and him are sharing a fucking hooch, we're brewing <laughs> coffee. It's the last day, and I get I turn my phone on finally, and I get a text. And it's from Kristen. We need to talk when you get home. And fucking Robbie Dolson over there, he's like, "Uh oh, buds." And I'm like, "Oh fuck." <laughs> I'm like, "No, we don't. You're either pregnant or you cheated on me, and there's no fucking way you cheated on me." <laughs> and she's like, "Boom, picture of a pregnancy test." <laughs> Rob Dolson starts counting on his fingers. Buds, we've been here. A long time. That ain't your kid. <laughs> he's like, oh, he's just fucking with me, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'm just like, and I got this buddy next door named Adam. And he's a fucking surfer boy, long blonde hair, always wearing cardigans. And I just text her. I'm like, that fucking kid comes out with a cardigan? I'm like, Adam's getting it. <laughs> like, She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and the reason why I made that comment is he left his cardigan at my house and asked to go over and get it. So <laughs> she uh, came with, you know what I mean? So yeah, I, was, yeah. I was joking about that, eh? That's and, funny. Um so yeah, so uh, I had my first boy, Lucas, there. And Lucas came around? Lucas came around, and that was a fight, man. What a fucking fight. And this is where I started, leadership started failing me. I'm, and, I, and I don't mean my direct leadership, my warrant officer, sergeant major. I'm talking company, like command level, like these fucking dickheads who control the whole battalion. Fuck you, Seth Adair. Um, wouldn't let me fucking do nothing, man, because they don't give a shit. I'm a fucking tool, and they needed me. Hmm. You know what I mean? So fuck my life, business fucking first. You yeah, know what I mean? You were, you were in investment in a company. Yeah, du- yeah. duty before self, as gay as that is, right? That's what you sign the fucking line for. So I'm like, whatever, I got it. You know I'm going to fucking do it because I always do what I'm told to do, and I fucking crush it. But I broke my fucking arm, so I'm in a cast. I'm also posted in six weeks, and I'm like, so you can't send me anywhere because I have to leave. The company's coming to pack my house up, like guys like us. So I'm, I, I have a broken arm. I'm in a complete cast, which means I'm on a TCAT. They can't send me anywhere. Hmm. And then I'm moving, and I'm having a baby. Well, this fucking commanding officer is so mad at the battalion because there's a rear party of 130-something guys, broken dudes. I've never fucking been hurt on a T, or a, a chit or a rear party once in my life. So I'm getting group punishment with these guys. So he goes, bullshit. He goes, this fucking guy didn't have a baby because I guess some other guy, fucking Tyler St. John, you piece of shit, he actually faked having a baby to get out of shit, got away with it, and then they found out after. So this guy thought I was doing that. 
even though my Sergeant Major and shit were there seeing my baby and fucking saw my wife pregnant the whole time. You know what I mean? And they wouldn't back you up. No, they did. Oh, no. yeah. Fuck yeah. My, my chain of command came through. Fucking good. This guy had a, couldn't swallow his pride, though. He fucking says at the end of it, he goes, you know what they say? You pay for your forefather's sin. And that I was like, fuck you. I'm fucking done. You fucking coward. I am so done with the military. If that's a fucking retard, you control us. I'm like, these fucking guys left and right to me. That's who runs this fucking army. You know what I mean? That's who matters. That's who counts. But for me, one of your guys who's never fucking done anything and fucking gone against the grain and crushed everything, I'm the one who gives this battalion a good name. You want to tell me I fucking lied about having a baby <laughs> when you can't send me anywhere anyways? Yeah. I was like, fuck you. So yeah, so I got posted back here to Meaford. And... Uh, Coming to Meaford, I was like, okay, going to a school. Guys like me, we all know, you go to school, you rest up, you get your surgeries, you fucking get yourself back in shape, you heal, you get some home time, you, you fucking recharge the batteries, fill that tank, you get back to the frontline unit, which is battalion, you fucking crush it again for another three to five years before your next little vacation posting to a school. Right. Nope. New fucking army. Get to Meaford, first week, kid kills himself. Mike, you're section commander of the fucking missing party search. Oh, fucking sweet. So that was shitty. Fucking second course. Kid kills himself again. Like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck is going on? And then because of all that shit, standards and all that's down your fucking back, all the chain of command stabbing each other in the back because everyone's worried. NIS is everywhere. Board of inquiries left, right, and center. Like, so it was cutthroat. And I'm like, man. So I go from battalion deploying all the time, never being home to coming here and still never going home because I'm just sitting on a fucking base all the time, working my ass off, dealing with all this fucking bullshit. And uh, <clears throat> I continued to grow with, uh, well, I still st kept the mentality. I still did a couple advanced courses. I did uh, conduct after capture. I did uh, close quarter combat instructor, stuff like that. I still had the drive. I still had the vision. I'm still going to crush these advanced courses. I'm going to go back to battalion, get promoted. I'm still going to crush it. Uh, it was after, uh, I, think it was, I don't remember if it was conduct after capture, close quarter combat, one of those two. That's when I was like, I'm done. Why the fuck am I putting myself through this anymore? I'm so was Lucas born when you were still going through all this? Yeah, he was. So, so I, ne I, ne I was never home for him, you know what I mean? This first right. two years of his life. Wow. So it sucked, man. Like, I, I had no bond with my son, and here's my wife at home all the day and sending me cute pictures, and me being so disconnected, like, emotional-wise, like, I felt nothing. Like, mm. it didn't even bother me. Wow. Um, it, it, usually you hear that, like, that, you know the normal story you, the first time you hold your son and this and that, but you were so disconnected from reality that it was, that wasn't even a, a moment. That's, that's wild, man. Yeah. And actually to touch on that, my wife actually got mad at me. She was upset. She's like, why didn't you cry? Hmm. And she's still, we're still pretty fucking new. Like we've only been together for like a year and a half and we already have a baby. So she was pregnant for nine months of that, 10 months of that. Right. And she doesn't know anything about my life. I haven't told her anything. And I'm just like, I don't feel emotion. So from my childhood to then the army conditioning me to be a fucking rock, mm -hmm. I'm like, I just can't. And I want to. Fucking believe me. I want to. I want to cry. I want to feel happy. I want to see bright lights and feel joy. And I want to fucking cry when my kid's born. And I felt nothing, man. I'm holding this fuck. Actually, we'll, we'll talk about this. Lucas was a stillborn. He wasn't a stillborn. He came back to life. But he was born in shock, and he was unresponsive for 25 seconds. And I'll never forget it. He was an emergency C-section. They pull him out, and he fucking limped. And I'm like, why isn't he crying? And the doctor, all of them look at me in shock. And I'm just like, why are you fucking looking at me like this? And they put him on this machine with the gases, and he's a level two of where he needed to be, like 11 or something for air. 
And the doctor just kept going, talk to your boy. He needs to hear your voice right now. And I couldn't even talk. I just sat there and I stared at him. And I felt nothing, man. I felt nothing. And I feel like such a fucking piece of shit that my son's laying there unresponsive. I don't know if he's going to make it. And I couldn't feel anything. Hmm. I sat there and I laid there. I, I stared at my son. And in my head, I was like, fuck, come on, buddy. Like I said that to myself, that's all I could feel. I couldn't feel anything. You couldn't get the words out. I couldn't. I had no emotion. That's like I wasn't scared. I wasn't sad. I wasn't confused. I was just fucking stuck. Wow. And then he cried. And then I, I didn't even feel relief. You know what I mean? I'm so fucked up from all the shit in my life. And then the army making me so fucking disconnected that I didn't know what to feel. And then I held numb. him. Yeah, numb. Exactly. Numb. I'm glad you said that. This, and learning through therapy later on, we'll touch on the feeling of numb. It's actually the scariest and worst thing you can be. But hmm. um, yeah, man, like I never felt a bond with my son, Lucas. Wow. Like, I mean, I fucking love that kid. I would, like... Well, that's that's why I bring it up, right? I see you guys now. And yeah. Just how far you must have come. Right? Yeah. I didn't know you then. Yeah, so a, I struggled, man. And it, it fucking... I had chronic pain and all this shit. I had no energy. I couldn't do nothing, man. And all my energy had to go to work. So then I come home and I'm fucking... I can't even walk upstairs some days. I'm so fucking beat up. And then Kristen's got to help me get undressed because I had broken ribs from the one course. I'm fucking finishing an advanced course with broken fucking ribs and a torn intercostal. Ugh. Couldn't even fucking breathe. She's like, why are you doing this? So I'm getting lectured at home and I'm like, I need to sleep. Let me sleep. And she's exhausted. She's got postpartum. She's home alone all day in a new fucking place. The army guy. She's already moved three times now in one year because of my career. And she's fucking losing her mind, stir crazy. And I'm so fucking exhausted. I get home and I snap. Leave me the fuck alone. I need to rest. I need to be up and fucking good to go tomorrow so I can fucking accomplish what I need to achieve. And like, that's all I cared about. I didn't give a fuck about anything. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I fucking did it every day. I see. Well, that's what you knew at this yeah, point, right? I seen that I'm hurting people and I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then so like it, t- it took a while. For me to start, well, what made me start realizing it all is I started getting um, betrayed by the military. And I, I shouldn't say me. We all were. Like, all the guys in the fucking Meaford Corps, you know the group we're talking about. You actually met a couple of them. You were going to meet a bunch more. Cool. Um, but we were under assault, man, like, and it fucking sucked. And I was just getting bladed, bladed, bladed. I'm like, these motherfuckers, man. And... uh to the point where I was like, I'm fucking done. I'm done. Uh, you can't touch me when I say I'm done, and I'm going after you. I'm fucking, I'm going for the fucking throat. <laughs> and so I went after the number one dude. I fucking had enough. I snapped. Because they weren't. They weren't supporting anyone, man. Right. They didn't give a shit about any of us. Mm-hmm. And I fucking snapped. It was actually a snowstorm. And it was the second time this motherfucker did it. James LaHaru, you know who you are. <clears throat> we all got snowed in. And. We got kids in Owen Sound, the highway's closed. We couldn't leave the base, and our kids are in fucking daycares and stuff, and they're calling us. And I'm like, this motherfucker didn't give a shit because he lives at the bottom road. He gets to fucking go home. So I call him out, and I'm like, man, what's on your, what's on your fucking door in your office? It's principles, uh, principles of leadership, yes? I'm like, read number fucking two for me. Learn from past failures. I'm like, did you fucking forget that? Like, you did this to us twice. And he's like... And it turned into a big fight, and I don't care to get into it. It's a fucking long story. It was a nightmare, man. Me and this guy, it was a two-year fight we went after, and I fucking crushed him. Um, But that's when I started going, you know what? I'm done. I'm fucking done. But then I felt so goddamn abandoned and betrayed, I was lost. Now what do I do with my life? 
All I had, all I ever wanted to do was fucking be a lifer in the army and crush it. I wanted to be a fucking RSM, a chief, a man, bad dude. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to be one of these guys who fucking were in these books or fucking whatever, right? I wanted to crush the fucking army, mm-hmm. and here I am now, abandoned, and I'm so fucking broken and having all these surgeries that like I can't do anything anymore. And but my brain is still telling me to do it, so I'm still trying to do it, but I can't. So I'm now failing. I'm not failing. Like, I wasn't failing courses or anything. But I was failing to be able to maintain the level of athleticism that I was at. So it made you feel like you were failing. It made me feel like I was failing. So in my head, I'm now going down. I'm fucking spiraling. Man, Mm -hmm. I'm not fucking number one. Like, I was merited number one, like, and all that stuff. But I wasn't performing where I was used to. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was eating me alive, man. It was eating me alive. And, um... Yeah, so I had a couple snaps at work, and uh, it wasn't good. And we were also pregnant with Colt, baby Colt there. And same thing, man. Like So from the time that you were in the trench, and um, your sergeant, was it? Sergeant Major, yeah. Your sergeant major said you were looking at your future, and that kind of hit you. From that point to having uh, Lucas, like this is over the last like two, three years. And Span then, of a year and a half, two years, yeah. Wow. So... From there, then then having Colt is where everything changed. Everything changed. Yeah. So, we, like, both my kids were planned. We both love our kids. We both wanted our kids. Like, everything was planned. Nothing was accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we wanted Colt. <clears throat> we, I wanted my girl each time, right? I wanted, I thought a girl would calm me down, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I still want my girl. And uh, so I'm <laughs> going through. Kristen. <laughs> yeah, still going through all this shit at work, and. This pregnancy is hard on Kristen because I'm going through all these problems and I'm, I'm bringing work home and I'm unleashing on poor Kristen mm-hmm. and she's devastated. She doesn't know anything about my life. I've never been to therapy at this point. I've never done anything. I'm just fucking losing my mind on her and she's lost. She's scared and she doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care. I was just so fucked up. And uh, and she still doesn't. She, at this point, she still didn't know anything about your life. Like, nothing. Holy shit! Man. Not till about the last year, man. That's crazy. About six months before I met you. Yeah. Holy! It took my big crisis there. Um, so yeah, and uh, it just like I just spiraled out of control, man. Like I, like, you just had enough. I just fucking had enough of everything. I was operating at capacity, like I was telling you, right? I was at capacity. I was getting defeated by everything. Barbecue wouldn't fucking start. Throw my whole fucking day off. Fucking barbecue out to get me. Fucking nothing goes my way. Just fucking snapping about everything, man. Yep. Kicking shit, throwing shit. Nothing goes my way. Go outside and fucking throwing shit. I'm just shaking. I'm mad. I'm mad at the world. Hmm. And why? I yep. got a beautiful home and I got a fucking beautiful wife and beautiful family, beautiful kids. Like... I was so blind to what I've achieved that I thought I never would, that I wasn't appreciating it. Like, I wasn't even realizing what I fucking had. I was throwing it away. And, uh, like, I could go in detail about crazy stuff, like, more, but we'll keep it somewhat PG. But <laughs> we'll sum it up with uh, the big pivotal, pivotal, like, turning point in my life is we had Colt. Kristen was going through, like, postpartum big time. And uh, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but she was super depressed. So me, super fucked up. Her being postpartum, and for the women that listen to this, I'm sure you'll understand, we were not working. Mm-hmm. And I didn't under, I didn't even know, and I wasn't there for her feelings or to support her because I was so fucking lost. Mm. And uh, 
we had a blowout, and she took my kids to her parents. Well, me being my whole life and being abandoned in the system, I thought she took my kids and were never coming back. So I fucking snapped and went and tried to kill myself. I was like, yep, my fucking life, full, full circle you're always talking about. I was like, here we go again, buddy, mm-hmm. round fucking two. I'm right back to being alone and abandoned, and fucking here I am now with no job. The army fucking turned its back on me because I'm fucking broken and old. They don't give a shit about me anymore. Mm-hmm. And fucking my wife just took me my kids from me, even though she was just going home for the weekend because I was supposed to go ice fishing with my friends. But I thought she fucking was leaving me. Yeah, the full capacity. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was toast. I had this fixed illusion in my head, like, this fucking woman just took my kids. So <laughs> I fucking snap. And uh, I'm sitting in the garage with a shotgun, and I sat there all night, and I was sitting there and I couldn't even cry and I'm and I'm getting mad at myself the whole time I'm like why the fuck can't I feel anything I'm not afraid to die I don't care like I don't even care about being and actually I'll rewind my whole career man lots of my friends killed themselves or died doing drugs and dumb fucking things because we we're so impulsive we're always chasing that fucking rush and uh you go to so many funerals and shit you just fucking stop caring man you just you're like okay when's the next one like Mm -hmm. So that's the end. Yeah, and I used to call is. those guys cowards all the time. You got fucking kids. How could you do that? You fucking coward. But I have never been in that mind state until now. Mm-hmm. And here I am sitting in my garage with a loaded gun going, I'm going to fucking kill myself, and I don't even care about those two little boys that I'm going to leave behind who fucking need me. <laughs> and none of that mattered, man. And I'm sitting here, and I'm shaking, and I fuck. it's loaded. It's sitting in my fucking, on the ground, and I'm looking at it down the fucking barrel. And all I can think about is just pull the trigger, Mike. Fucking do it, man. <laughs> Paint your fucking ceiling, man. And uh, I think I was there from midnight to four in the morning, and I was just gone. I was not there. And <clears throat> I looked up, and I saw the little skating rack I had assembled for Lucas because it was his first year. We were getting him into hockey, and I'm trying to teach him how to skate. And as soon as I saw that, it snapped me out of it. I was like, man, I can't fucking do this. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. I have two sons. And that's all I needed to see was that little red skating rack I put together, a little PVC, little fucking whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's what snapped me out of it that night. And I'm like, okay. And I'm back in control. Oh, Mike's back. He's fucking snapped that shit out of his head. He's fucking back in control. What's going on? Talking to Kristen, trying to figure things out. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why? What is wrong with me? And um, so, yeah, so things were good for a couple days. And she's like, I'm going to stay here for a bit. Just I think you need some time. And I need some time. Like, and I'm like, she's fucking, she wants to leave me. And then I get a letter from a lawyer. Because her parents talked her out. of They don't understand military stuff. So they're like, maybe you should just come home and you and Mike should separate. Because he's not for you. Because he's. He's fucked up from the army. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. So here I am. But now at this point, because I was smart, I gave my guns away to someone. One of my buddies lock up because I was like, man, I can't have these in my house. Mm-hmm. But I'm an army guy with a fucking plethora of skills. So I go and get the mountain bag and I fucking sling load a fucking noose. And I'm like, there's my tree. And I fucking type up a big letter, email it to Kristen in the middle of the night, not thinking she's going to get it. She fucking got it right away. Calls my good friend slash last previous boss, John Bellamy. Fucking much love. Another crazy dude. You can find him on YouTube, Crazy 8. Fucking shows up. Fuck you doing? I'm like, God damn it. Cock blocked. Cock blocked. Motherfucker, man. He shows up with two advanced paramedics, a cop buddy of mine, Troy. And they're all like, what the fuck is going on, man? What is wrong with you? And I'm like, and I, I'm standing there numb. 
And I couldn't even, I just, one tear came down my eye. And John looked at me, and he's like, I've never seen you like this, man. Hmm. He's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. What is wrong with me? And uh, <clears throat> this, like, 20-year-old cop looks like his balls just dropped. He tries to talk to me. I'm like, get the fuck away from me. Like, do you just leave old PCs? Your balls just drop? Like, I do not want to fucking talk to you about life skills. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. And the, <laughs> my buddy Troy, the other cop's like, yeah, yeah, I'll talk to him. <laughs> you go over there, young pup. Watch and learn. Yeah. So, yeah, man. So, that was my crisis. That wow. was, uh, I tried to kill myself twice. And that's where we talk about a higher power. I'm meant to be here. Something mm-hmm. stopped me or did it. And uh, that's where my life fucking changed. I, and when I say changed. Sorry, what, what was the name of the, the guy that showed up? John Bellamy. What was the conversation like that you and ha- you and him had? John doesn't need night? to talk to you. No? John just talks to you. He just looks at you. And uh, he just, him and Matt, the other guy you met, mm-hmm. the big Viking dude, those fucking guys muckled on me. They didn't let go. Because they know I'm a man of action, and they knew I was going to fucking do it. But they know I can talk my way to anything, so I talked my way out of the hospital that night. Talked my way out of my captain, everything. Matt sat on my couch and fucking slept on my couch with me. He's like, you know, I'm not fucking leaving, man. And because I saved his life already. He tried to kill himself, and he has me to thank for that, and now he's returning the favor. Wow. And uh, so that's why me and Matt got a lot of love for each other, but that's why I started realizing, like, man, these motherfuckers love me. Yeah. This guy's, like, like, ORV, like, this guy's got his leg on my leg while we sleep, so he knows if I fucking move. Like, we're fucking tight. And that's he cares. That fucking brotherhood, right? And Bellamy's, like, picking me up. What's going on, man? Let's go get food. You need to eat. Like these guys, and these guys don't like they're leaving their own family behind because I'm their mission right this second. Mm-hmm. Right back to that don't quit brotherhood mentality, right? It's fucking a different right. aspect, but yeah. it's, you know. And John gives me the dad lecture, like, you fucking motherfucker. What the fuck, man? You're going to leave those two kids? You fuck? When have you ever quit? Gives me the, gets back in my head, pumps me back up, right? Mm-hmm. Fills me full of hot air. And I'm like, yeah, man, fuck. He's like, you know how many motherfuckers follow you? Soldiers, everyone that look up to you, man, you don't even fucking realize it. And you fucking went and tried to quit. Push the fucking out easy button. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, man, I'm fucked up. I don't know. And then, uh, so this is where Mark Cushman comes into my life. Ryan's dad. <laughs> he calls me from Florida and he's like, you're going to fucking tr- treatment, buds. And I'm like, this is a guy who's not even from my regiment. Just another soldier with much love for me. Because <laughs> we're all the same alpha dudes, right? We're all these top echelon dudes. And this motherfucker, he's, he was the DSM of the base. Or for you, Patricia's the QMSI. And uh, he's like, you're going, motherfucker. And uh, and that's where my life turned around. I did this intense uh, seven-day treatment program at Project Trauma Support. Check it out, everyone. And uh, it fucking saved my life. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, man, like, that's when I started feeling things again. Like, you start doing all these crazy things like uh, holotropic breathing. And you learn that all these medications. And well, I guess I didn't touch on that, but... One of the biggest things that fucked me up for everything is the army puts you on medications for everything, right? So whether they're right or wrong, they just guess. So I'm on all these concoction of drugs every time I'm having these meltdowns, and they're making me worse. So that's why I tried to kill myself was a drug named Zoloft, the worst fucking enemy, man. Mm. And that's what made me lose control. I wasn't in control. I wasn't myself. I I didn't know who I was anymore. And... uh so going to Project Trauma Support, I, I get educated on all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, that's me. This fucking girl is speaking to me. She knows it. She gets it. I'm like, this is me. And I'm learning all these things. And I'm learning out that I was fucked up when I was 12, man. 
I have CPTSD, they called it, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, or as Manuela would call it, it's not a disorder, it's just PTS, um, because of, I was abandoned and thrown into a fucking prison system as a child. And uh, And you didn't choose to be there. I didn't choose to be there. And uh, the biggest thing that actually set me over the edge and brought out all these fucking traumas and scars in my body that I didn't know were there was me having kids. (laughs) So me seeing that I have kids and a happy wife, it fucked me up. I didn't know how to be there. I didn't know how to be a dad. I didn't, it was confusing me. And I'm sitting there looking at these two boys going, I love these fucking kids so much. Why, how could people do this to me? Mm -hmm. And it fucked me up so bad in my head without me even fucking realizing. Brought those feelings back. It brought everything right face value. Boom. Brought it all back. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? What is going on? And it took me going to all this intense treatment and stuff to figure it out and learn about it. And I'm like, yes, that's it. Makes so much fucking sense. And I have Lucy to thank for that because I've been to a million mental health people and I can fucking read those people in 30 seconds. Yep, no, you're not going to work for me. See ya. I'm not smelling a fucking chamomile tea bag and tap my knees. Fuck off, thanks. <laughs> this Lucy girl is no bullshit, though. She's like, no. She took a year with me, and after about a year, she's like, okay, are you done interrogating me? She's like, are you ready to fucking work? She was patient for a year with me to go, do you trust me yet? I was like, okay, this girl's smart. Yeah, I trust you. Let's work. This isn't her first rodeo. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I've, I've learned a lot, and um, and then it just makes me think, like, if I can fucking do it, anyone can do it, man. Like, I went from fucking, I went, like, my whole fucking life was a fucking up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, and mostly down, but... I was I was never in that between, like, normalism, right? Like, I was always fucking riding high or riding low. And it was low, low, and it was high, high. There was no mm-hmm. in-between for me. Yep. So it was just exhausting. I'm just always operating at capacity. And uh, I'm just always, ele- like, activated, right? Just hypervigilant just my whole life. And I'm at the point now where, like, I'm able to sit back and enjoy things. Colors are bright. I don't feel claustrophobic in rooms. I'm like... Sweet. I can look at a beautiful moment like my kids putting Christmas ornaments up and I almost cried. I'm like, what the fuck is going on with me? I'm like becoming human again. I'm feeling emotions. But me, even at Christmas, I was still like, well, fuck you. I was like the Grinch, right? Tear, get the fuck back in there. Yeah. Fuck is that thing? Still learning, right? Get the fuck out of here. What's that? I don't want to feel that. I don't like that. And, uh, fucking wet, salty thing. Yeah. (laughs) Stupid thing. And, uh, and this is all through learning at, at this, with, um, project trauma support. That was my baseline, man. That was the foundation of my house. Hmm. It was a foundation of my work. Wow. It gave me the fucking what I needed, the tools. It gave me my first little tool bag of what I needed, and I fucking went from there. And and before before doing, so this was Mark Cushman's, like he, he went through this project trauma support, and he, and he pushed you onto it? Yeah. So before doing this, you did therapy, and, and like nope. you said, the prescriptions, or that was the first? I never did therapy before. Project trauma support was the first thing I ever did. Okay. But we had to see psychologists and shit all the time, but the thing is, when you go on advanced courses, you have to pass a psych test. So we fucking done so many psych tests, psych tests we know how to fucking pass them. You just know how to do so it. So it's right. like, I never actually worked, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I never technically did anything with... Uh, mental health experts but uh yeah man like it was after i got those tools from pts where i was like okay i am fucked up Mm -hmm. i accepted it you know what i mean because i had so much pride i was like that's not me fuck no Mm -hmm. pussies fuck no it's not me Mm -hmm. that was the injured soldiers that was yeah i'd I'd accept it right like okay i am fucked up and it had nothing to do with the army to begin with the army just took what was already there and made it fucking worse. So I don't blame any of this on the army for anyone that might be thinking that. 
Um, I was fucked up way before the army. I just didn't realize it. Just calloused you over. You yeah, know, yeah. Damn. It just the army's fucking. Oh, he is fucked up. Let's exploit it because whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just compiled, right? And uh, before that, like I was having panic attacks and stuff. And but even then, I was like, "Give me drugs." So give me clonazepam. I'm having a panic attack. Boom, eat a clonazepam. I'm right back in the game. Okay, let's go. Keep fucking doing army stuff. I'm cool. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, man, like, all the drugs and stuff. It just kept making me worse and worse and worse and gaining weight. And then I'm fucking going, how do I go from a six-pack and fucking rip to a dad bod and fucking can't get off the couch because I have no energy? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, when I start, that's when I started learning, like, trauma and all this stuff exhausts your body, right? It has all these adverse effects physically and mentally that you don't even realize. And uh, that's where my journey began, man. And and here I am now, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> And that f- f- full circle thing, like me and your dad have such a fucking similar story, minus the group home stuff and army stuff, but upbringing, boxing and stuff like that, it's like, and then you got to think like cosmic assignment. You know what I mean? Like, was I meant to be here? Mm-hmm. Like, am I riding? Did I fucking die in the army when I drowned in fucking BC or something? You know what I mean? Or doing something stupid? Yeah, or let's, let's, let's or touch did on, I kill myself? You know let's what I mean? touch on that. We had a conversation, I don't know, yesterday or the day before about... um about that just there you you were thinking and we kind of had a an in-depth interstellar type conversation of riding different waves and in different dimensions and stuff where where did that where did that come into play so upon like self-research right like after learning all these fun so i had an experience doing a holotropic breathing uh exercise where it's like it's just breathing it's just oxygen it's an old thing that the warriors used to do and you just something you go to another world so i came to and i had a breakdown i'm sitting there crying and another fucking man is holding me chris cart fucking much love and i'm going what the fuck was that witchcraft and the doctors and stuff they're like yeah man it worked like it, it's been working for thousands of years and people just don't know this stuff and i'm like that's witchcraft all i did was breathe <laughs> fucking breathe to music at a rate a certain rate and just don't stop breathing and here i am in another fucking world going what happened to me and I'm just, like, releasing everything. Like, I'm sitting here crying like a fucking baby. But I'm not conscious. I'm not doing it awake. You know what I mean? It's I can't even explain to you. And like, Is that the, the Wim Hof thing? That type thing, yeah, yeah. He activates the DMT yeah. molecule. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's when guys like us on the program start looking into this stuff. What the fuck is it? Why has it been around for thousands of years? Why have these warriors been doing it before they go to battle? Mm-hmm. Why are they not afraid to die? Why are they all happy all the time? It's because they already faced it, man. They're smoking DMT or they're doing this Wim Hof breathing stuff mm-hmm. and they're seeing what's on the other side. So then upon you keep researching, right? You fall into a rabbit hole. And then I'm like, simulation theory. Uh-oh, that's scary. Okay, we're riding on different frequencies. There's 300 million fucking universes and we're all riding side by side on different frequencies. We're walking past each other each day, and we don't even know it because we're on a different frequency, so we can't see each other. It's parallel universes. <laughs> so then I started thinking, well, have I died? Did I pull that trigger? And I'm just, I fucking woke up, and I was in a different fucking timeline. I'm on a different frequency, living an alternate life on a different path. And, that, and it just fucks with your head so much because you're like, I believe that more than religion. You know what I mean? It's science. Mm-hmm. It's there for a reason. Like why are why are why are they why are they like studying this and trying to map out the DMT universe and stuff like that? Like why is this working for so many people with PTSD or 
severe mental health issues. These simple breathing things or ayahuasca retreats or smoking DMT once or twice in their life. Like, why are these having such adverse positive effects on people? Yeah. Or microdosing mushrooms, stuff like that. Like, it's saving people's lives. And when you look up the science, when you look at pharmaceutical stuff, they're in like the 2 to 4% Increase to success rate and then the fucking microdose psilocybin and LSD and stuff like that. It's in the 14 to 28. Mm-hmm. Like it's fucking crushing pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And they're the same studies that they're doing of patients who've never done this stuff before in their life. Same as the pharmaceutical stuff. So that's data and data doesn't lie. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Numbers don't lie. It's like this COVID shit. It's like, look at the fucking numbers. Why is anyone scared? Yeah. That's my own personal opinion. So don't get mad at me, but <laughs> I'm a, I'm a data guy. Right. So, <sighs> Yeah, man, like, it, it's it's cool to think, like, um, am I riding a different parallel? Why why are things finally aligning for me? Why are things starting to work out? Mm-hmm. Like, my whole life, everything's been against me. I've never, like, it's just, and all of a sudden, here I am now, debt-free, own a beautiful home, lots of money in the bank, own boats, tractors, I got a healthy family. I fucking, I'm part of this gym now. Like, I'm help, I'm mentoring people, and, like, it seems like I fit in perfectly where I, Everyone is, I'm affecting people. You know what I mean? Whereas before you felt so lost. Lost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's awakening the consciousness and, and just surrendering to life. Like we were, we were talking about the other day. There's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's amazing. So what, um, what do you got going on in your life now, man? Either than, you know, the gym here, we're, we're back to boxing. We're back to beating each other up. So, yeah, man, like... What's your plan? Yeah, I'm at a point now where I'm crawling back to the roots, man. So, like, being so disconnected and the army consuming your life, like, um, I never got to do any pastime stuff. So now I'm like, fuck, I got time to do shit now. Let's... There's this boxing gym, and thanks to Lisa for reminding me, getting stretched out there, and I was like, fuck, I'll send him an email, and fucking Lee and your dad hit me back right away. Fuck yeah, come in, we'd love to meet you. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, cool. Walk in, I'm like, this is not what I expected for a gym. <laughs> and yeah, open arms, and here I am, man. So, it's nice to be able to like, and all those, it's an, it's an old skill set, so it's like, I'm I'm moving through the army shit, and I'm pulling out this old stuff that, I, so it's like I'm relearning it again, you know what I mean? Like, it's been on the back burner for so long. Yep that it, it's nice because it makes me feel grounded. Like, I, I'm like, okay, I'm grounded. Like, I come in this gym, I'm like, this was my natural element before all the shit. This was my safe space. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's cool, man. And uh, so now, like, my plan is just to keep on my educational journey of just, like, <clears throat> understanding things and just self-research and self-care, man. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I got to stop fighting everyone else's battles. It's time to care about myself and my, my own family and... And I'm a stay-at-home dad right now, man, which is fucking cool because I'm I'm with Colt all day, and it's just I got this beautiful bond with this boy yep. that I never had with Lucas, uh, which I do like I have it with Lucas, but I didn't get to experience it because I was working. Yeah, different ages. And yeah, he's, gro- he's growing. Yeah, and uh, it just feels so fucking cool, like because I can feel it now. Mm-hmm. Like I can hold him and he can hug me and I feel it. You know what I mean? I can feel his love. Yeah. Where I couldn't feel that shit before. Yeah. He needs you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's such a cool thing. And I, it used to stress me out. I pace the house like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm not, I'm not accomplishing anything. Like I need to do something where now I can just relax. Yeah. Sit in my house and fucking turn the TV on and cuddle with my boy. And I'm like, I'm safe. You put all that work in and yeah. it's time to enjoy the yeah fruits to your loom. 33 years old, starting my life from fucking day one, pretty much. That's the way I feel, right? Like, it's like wow. getting braces, man. <laughs> <laughs> getting fucking braces. Never 
never got to do that when I was a kid and have money or a family. And well, when you join your army, you can't, if you have braces, you're not deployable. So you're kind of useless. So right. even my own like stuff like that's been on the back burner, man. Well, just small decisions like that, you know, it's, you would, you would never do that beforehand. Even if it was, even if you could get deployed or whatever, yeah, right? yeah. braces, that's fucking, yeah. you know, pussy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. Small decisions that, that make the, make the man every day. Oh, that's good, man. I, uh, you got anything else you want to say? I think we can wrap her up. No, man. Um, Shout out to the fam. I hope you have a good weekend. Yeah, fuck. With the, the great-grandparents or the grandparents. If anyone uh, wants to talk more, I'm all ears. Um, I got, like, you got, like, a 10% version of my life story, but um, I'm pretty experienced. I'm maybe 33 years old, but I got a lot to, to share, a lot mm-hmm. of experience that I could help well, people with. And that's 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 just it. You, um, we talked about it a few times, and you've been helping me out with some with some stuff, and and you've you found your passion with help with helping people, right? You know, yeah, yeah, in the sure. gym, either than boxing and and being a really good coach, you you ha- you're a good mentor mentor now. You know, you yeah. you've been through all this shit, and you can help other people, and I feel like you're really good at it. So learn from my mistakes. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate you doing this for me, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm sure it won't be the last time. We'll uh, we'll get you on and talk some more shit sometime. Yeah, buddy. Well, well, well. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening, guys. out.